Well, it's great to see you this morning. We uh, had a big event here last night, a crazy hair deal for some of the moms, and everybody seems to have survived, and amazingly, this place is back together this morning, so we're thankful for that, and uh, if you missed that, oh well, that probably wasn't for you, so that's the way it goes, all right? I um, want you to continue to pray for Israel uh, and the war that's going on. We're actually told in Scripture to pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem, so I ask you to do that. As, as you know, uh, Israel's at war with the Hamas terrorist group uh, that's embedded in Gaza. And uh, they've been warning people, all the civilians, to get out of the way. That's the difference between Israel and a terrorist group. Is Israel warns the civilians, here's where we're coming. Get out of the way. Here's a safe corridor. You have this much time to get out. Where terrorist groups target civilians, not military bases. So... That's the difference. So just a lot going on there. You know, and you hear all this crazy stuff. Boy, I could go on and on. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, like uh, the Israelis are colonialists. You always hear about this colonialist. Every spot of ground in the world that anybody occupies is, was taken from somebody else before them. Everywhere. Even the American Indians here were consulars, 500 nations battling each other, sometimes exterminating one another, take, you know, enslaving one another that went back and forth. I'm not downing that. I'm just saying that's just, that's just history of the world. But yeah, that's what I wasn't going to talk about. But anyway, all right, so we are in a series today called The Life of David. And so we're, we've been on this for a few weeks. And remember, we're at the point of David's life where he's been anointed king, but he hasn't been crowned king. Saul has been both anointed and crowned king, and he still has the throne. And David, although he was anointed when he was like 15-year-old teenager, he's been on the run as Saul's been trying to kill him. And at this point in his life, it's been about 10 years. And it's here at this point in history that Samuel, the one who anointed Saul, then David, he dies, the last judge. And with his death ends the period of the judges that you could read about in the book called Judges. And then begins the age of kings, even though Saul's already been around for a little while. And not only kings, but then prophets who are trying to follow God and advise them according to God's wisdom and God's word. And so, and, and by the way, Back to that Israel thing. You know, you see, I, I, I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. So June 18th, when we were in Ezekiel, we talked about the modern history of Israel, and we threw that up on the screen. I don't know if in their territories. And Anyway, so if you're curious, you can go back and see that modern history of Israel. It's online, June 18th in Ezekiel. All right. So during this section of scripture, and I'm going to try to cover like four or five chapters, but I'm going to try to do it way faster than I did it last week. Who's with me? Yeah. You know, okay, some of you are with me. Some of you are like, you can't do it. And I just showed you why I can't do it with all the talk that I've already been doing. Right, okay. So the narrative here is going to shift as we close out 1 Samuel, because David's story continues into 2 Samuel. The narrative is going to shift between David and Saul, David and Saul, and then back again. So here it goes. And through this section, God continues to teach David, but we're going to notice three lessons that really work for us that God's going to affirm in David's life. And the first is this. God says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. 
we are not to take personal vengeance toward other people. We're not to take revenge. That's personal revenge. Countries are allowed to do that. Countries exist to protect their citizenry. But we as individuals, we're not permitted to do that. God says, let me handle it. You don't need to take vengeance on people who offend you or do something wrong to you personally. So here in this point of the story, David wants to avenge himself. And David, remember, is he's hiding out and uh, he's in the wilderness. And the wilderness where David's at is actually mostly down here. It's hard to read this map, and it extends on down. And that's where David and his men are. There's not a lot of people there. And he's trying to provide for his, he's got 600 guys with him now. They are starting to have families and stuff. There's a lot going on. And while they're hiding out in the wilderness, David says to his men, hey, hands off, because there's a rich guy that has a bunch of flocks and a bunch of sheep, a bunch of sheep herders in the area. And David's like, hey, don't be, don't be swiping those sheep or leave the sheep herders alone and all this. And that sets up kind of a confrontation, and it goes like this. 1 Samuel 25, beginning in verse 2. Now there was a man in Maon, which is just this wilderness area, whose business was in Carmel, again, city nearby. And while the man was very rich, he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, and now there's a parenthetical aside, now the man's name was Nabal, or Nabal, and his wife's name was, his, her name was Abigail, and the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite, which is just another clan. You know, Caleb came in. He's also from Judah, just like David. Anyway, verse 4 gets back to the story. This guy's shearing his sheep in Carmel. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and visit with Nabal and greet him in my name. Now here's what's, so he tells these 10 men, hey, go visit this rich guy, Nabal. Greet him in my name. David sends his greetings. And then point out to Nabal that, hey, since he's been watching over his flocks, since my, in, the, in our area where my men are, none of his sheep are missing. None of his shepherds have been harassed. Everything's been good. And then he's telling them, because of that, you know, have Nabal consider giving a gift to the young men that I'm with, you know, my 600 guys. It's sort of like the mob, you know, protection money. It's a little bit like that, only it's very courteous because he's not saying how much or anything like that. He's just saying, hey, we've protected you. Uh, sheep shearing is a time of celebration and feasting. Hey, since you guys are celebrating, hey, check and make sure what I'm telling you is true. But when you find out it's true, consider a gift to my young men. But it doesn't go so well like that. So verse 10. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Now, everybody knows who David is. Everybody in this area especially. He continues. This is Nabal. There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I don't know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. 
So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. So David's like, vengeance time. Oh, this guy's disrespecting me. We protected him. This is kind of customary. We're going to take care of business. Arm yourselves. We're going. As he goes back at Nabal's place, a young man that's attached to Nabal's household tells Nabal's wife, Abigail, hey, Abigail, something happened. Well, what's that? Well, David sent 10 young men and sort of greeted Nabal in his name and sort of suggested that maybe he could give his young men a gift since we're all celebrating. And Nabal just trashed him. And so Abigail's like, whoa, this is not good. And, and the guy's like, hey, and by the way, David did, David's men did protect our shepherds and David's men did protect our sheep. He's actually telling the truth and I think something bad's gonna happen. So God uses Abigail to stop David from taking personal vengeance. Next thing, verse 18. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared. Remember, this is celebration time. And five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Hey, go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now it came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her and so she met them. So they get to this ravine that's in between them. She sent her men with these gifts before and then as she crests and goes down into this ravine, she looks across on the other side and here's David's small army coming down, winding their way down to the bottom. They meet at, at the bottom. And Now Abigail is a wise woman. And it's a little unusual how this story breaks out because this is not typically what would happen in that day and time for women or wives to take the lead on a transaction like this. But she acts quickly, she intercepts David, and then she takes responsibility for the offense and, again, helps David avoid vengeance. And so now she's going to have this speech to David. During this speech, she's going to mention God's personal name, Yahweh, seven times. And so here's how that goes. And she's doing that to help David see the situation, not from his personal perspective, but from God's perspective. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. Unusual, she's the wife of a wealthy man, not something she'd normally do. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. She's talking about her husband. For as his name is, so is he. Now, as his name is, so is he. The word Nabal or Nabal, depending on how you pronounce it, Nabal means fool. And so I don't know where Nabal got this name, you know, or, or what his parents were thinking when he was born, but this is a good, you know, any of you about to have children, think, think this through. Because here he's a, a rich man, but he still has the name fool. And so that's what's going on there. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. 
But I, Abigail's still talking, but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. And so basically Abigail says, hey, take the gift that I've brought and this is all my fault. I didn't know this happened. Forgive me and forgive us. And then she goes on to say some things like, I know God's gonna make you our next king. And it's not gonna be good for the next king to have this in his history where he wiped out these people because they offended him. So God is using me to stop you, to restrain you from taking vengeance now. She says all that, basically. Verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. And blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. So Abigail's words, they do the trick. David receives the gift, even though it's probably not enough to even feed his men, but he takes it and she returns home and he goes back to the wilderness. And basically she's just saying what Jesus taught us. You know, and God's taught us, taught the Israelites back at the law. Vengeance is mine, says God. So, but God says that, and the reason we take comfort in that is vengeance is God's. God will deliver justice. It's just a matter of time. And this story happens a little faster, verse 36. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So she tells Nabal, hey, you almost brought disaster on all of us. He was coming with his little army to wipe us out. He has a heart attack. Ten days later, he dies. Nabal dies. David hears that Nabal dies. He sends word to propose marriage to Abigail. She quickly accepts, and David picks up his third wife, which is kind of a story in itself, because remember, he was given Micah, Michael, but then Saul took her back and gave her to somebody else, kind of like David was dead, even though David wasn't dead, and then David married another lady, which is a whole other story, but then he's got Abigail, so that's what happens. All right. <laughs> Abigail stops David from avenging himself. And, and the lesson is learned because David then, next thing, spares Saul's life again in chapter 26. We've already seen this in chapter 24. Remember, David spared Saul's life in the cave, right? You, you know, with some, yeah, yeah, we, we remember all that. We don't want to go back into those stories. All right, in the meantime, this happens again. In the meantime, the, the Ziphites tell Saul where David is. So the Ziphites are people that live all around this area. They're actually, they're Israelites. They're actually from the same clan as David, from the tribe of Judah. But they keep ratting David out. They've already done this once. That led to the whole cave thing. And now they're doing the same thing again. And it's like David can't really catch a break. And so Saul gathers up his special forces, his 3,000, and then they march into the wilderness because the Ziphites told Saul where David was. And then when they get there, David knows they're coming. 
And he's been told, and so he's watching the camp, and he watches them stop and set up their camp for the night. And so he's on high ground, he's looking at, he sees where Saul is, where everybody is in the camp. And so when night comes, he, he, gets, he turns to some of his trusted guys, his main guy is Abishai, and Abishai is Joab's brother. He comes up later in the story, but he's also, Abishai and Joab are both actually David's nephews. He's their uncle. But anyway, we don't need to know that. But he turns to Abishai and he says, who will go with me into the camp? Sneak into the camp at night. Abishai says, I'm in. So David and Abishai sneak in to Saul's encampment at night. And David knows where Saul is. So they go all the way to the middle of the camp. Everybody's sleeping. And then Saul has his entire bodyguard retinue is, is all around him. And they're all sleeping. And they make it all the way to Saul. And Saul's sleeping there, and at his head, stuck in the ground, is his spear. This is the same spear that he threw at David a few times, right? This spear is almost like a scepter. It's almost like a symbol of him being king. Well, his spear, he's laying down. His spear is stuck in the ground next to his head, and he has a personal water jug there. And Abishai turns to David and says, Come on, let me do it, David. Probably like this, David, let me do it. What? Let me just end this. I will, I will grab this spear and I will pin him to the ground and it won't have to be done twice and this will be over and you'll be king. Let me do it. And of course, David says this in verse nine. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, as the Lord lives. Here's David. Hey, I don't know why Saul is still here trying to kill me when I'm supposed to be the king. I don't get it. But God's in charge of all this. David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies. Or he'll go down into battle and perish. He's saying somehow this guy's going to die at some point. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let's go. It's the same thing David did at the cave. He basically, you know, spares Saul's life. Then they leave the camp, go down a ravine, climb the next hill that's close enough that they can yell over to the encampment. And David, he has a spear and the jug of water and he yells over to Saul's general, Saul's captain of his bodyguard. His name's Abner. And he goes, hey, Abner, what's wrong with you? You're messing up. You're not protecting your king. And Abner's like, what are you talking about? He goes, look, I have his spear. I have his jug of water. You're not doing your job. And during all this, Saul wakes up. And so Saul's hearing this. And then Saul cries out, is that you, David? Yeah, it's me again. And you're still trying to kill me, you know? And then Saul does the same thing he did at the end. He, he says, you're better than I am. You're right. I'm trying to kill you, but you could have killed me and you didn't. You're, you're a better man. I'm wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And he says this in front of his whole army. And then so Saul leaves and David stays in the wilderness. And, and all this, though, is starting to take a toll on David. He's thinking, you know, someday... I'm not taking vengeance on Saul, but someday this guy's going to kill me. 
and he seems to be slipping on his trust with God. And here's the deal. We should always seek God's will for our decisions. Because the next thing that happens is David decides to take all his people over to the Philistines. And the interesting thing is, normally when David makes big decisions, he stops and asks God, and that's recorded for us in the text. But this is a huge decision, and there's nothing like that. It's like David decides to go on this trip. It's it's like this. My son, Zach, who leads Tiffin, um, he and some people from Tiffin were going to go to Israel. But they were going to leave Monday. But, of course, the trip got canceled over the weekend. No flights could go in. So he and one of his buddies, Jeff Walter, the Walters back there. Yeah, there they are. The scene of the crime, right back there. Yeah, the, uh, one of his friends that grew up here in church, Jeff Walter, who works for another church, Worcester, uh, kind of a sister church of ours. They, he was going to be on that trip too. So they both had this vacation time carved out, which is hard for them to do, especially Zach. And so they decide, we're going to get in. Jeff's, Jeff's going to, he is actually going to trash his vehicle. He's going to junk it. Well, they decide they're going to get in this vehicle that he's had since high school. They've been friends since high school. And they're going to drive as far south as the car will take them and and then fly back. And so that's what they're going to do. The last I heard of them, they were in southern Mexico. And so I've not been in contact with him, but he does Instagrams. So I'm not a big Instagram person who does Instagram. So, but, but yesterday, my daughter was saying, well, he's on Instagram. I'm like, well, is Zach still alive? Well, yeah, he's on Instagram. So I look at Instagram, and there's just weird things. I mean, you know, they're driving along. Part of their car falls off. They throw it in the dumpster. They're driving a little further. They lose their air conditioning. They drive a little further. It's got a gas leak that they have to stop and try to get fixed. You know, at one point, there's some local guy showing them through the jungle this hole in the ground where he says there's ancient ruins and Jeff starts climbing down into this hole that he could barely fit in and there's a cave under there that they go through and now they're all over Mayan temples you know and I don't know that they're supposed to be climbing all over there but there's nobody else there they're just in the jungle at these Mayan temples crawling but anyway I'm not sure that was the best decision all right I don't know that they did a lot of praying about that And and I know they're planning to fly back at some point when the car dies. But anyway, this is the same as what's going on with David. I don't know that this was the best decision. It doesn't seem like David really thought this one out. Because what David decides to do is to leave this area and go to Gath. Who remembers Gath? Gath is a Philistine city. It's the city where David fled to at the beginning when he was on the run because he he thought he was going to be wiped out. But then when he got there, he realized these people are going to kill me. They know who I am, partially because I'm carrying around Goliath's sword. But, you know, they're there. They're going to get me. And so then he acts like he's crazy. Does anybody remember that? Okay. All right, good. Somebody is listening. So it's the same city and the same king, King Achish. Now, Achish is one of five Philistine Philistine lords. There's five Philistine royal cities. I'm only throwing the map here because these cities are on the news every day. So first of all, there's Gaza. You know, the Gaza Strip. Gaza, same Gaza. That's one of the royal Philistine cities. Then there's 
Ashkelon. We hear about that. That's an Israel city. They were bombed really heavily by Hamas. Anybody, is this checking out with anybody? Are you with me? All right, yeah. And so then there's Ashdod. Whoa, lost it. What, 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 hey, Ekron. And so there's five of these and Gath. So there's five Philistine cities. These are royal cities where the kings of the Philistines live. David goes to one, back to King Achish and, Zet and Gath, and he says, I'm going to be your mercenary. You know what a mercenary is, right? It's a gun for hire. Hey, let me be here. I'm going to escape Saul because now I'm in Philistine territory. And now I'll be a part of your warriors, your army, and, you know, and, and we'll be good. I'll serve you. And so King Achish says, okay. After he's there a little while, David says, you know, it's probably not right that I'm hanging out in the royal city where you live. Why don't you give me another town where I can go with my men? And David's really kind of feeling the microscope. And so Achish does that. He gives David Ziglag or Ziklag. Ziklag is a city that was actually an inheritance from God to Israel at the conquest, but the Israelites never conquered the city. Later, the Philistines did conquer the city. So now it's a Philistine city. David goes there and sets up shop. Now, when the king gives you a town, it's sort of expected that you're going to give something back to the king. You know, if it's an agricultural area, you're going to give them part of the produce. But this is not that. And so they're kind of in the northern Negev here. And so what the, the principal thing that, that people do in this area, all these different tribal groups, is that they're raiders. They raid other towns, and that's where they get their supplies and everything. And then when they run out, they go out raiding again. And so in Ziklag, David's expected to make raids. Well, he does that. But what happens is he's actually, Beersheba is down here, but everything south of Beersheba is basically um, Canaanite or Amalekite or Gershashite. It's all these other groups of people that are raiders. So David goes on raids with his 600 men, and then he sends some of the spoil up to King Achish. So then Achish asks, hey, well, who did you guys conquer lately? And David lies to him, deceives him, and he tells King Achish that he's raiding the southern towns of Judah, his own clan, Israelite towns. But he's not. He's actually raiding towns further south that are the enemies of the Jewish people and may or may not be enemies of the Philistines. So he lies to them. Well, because of his lie... Achish is like, oh, well, now David really is going to serve me. And where, where can he go now? The Jewish people are going to hate him because he's raiding them and plundering their towns. But that wasn't true. And so that's what he's thinking. But in order to protect David's lie, he has to wipe out all the adults in every town that he attacks. Because if he leaves one adult, I'm not justifying this, I'm saying if he leaves one adult, if that adult escaped and got word to King Achish, King Achish was, no, oh, you're not attacking cities of Judah, you're attacking other raiders. You know, so he doesn't know. And this, it's kind of one of these deals. This may be, because God's not telling David to do this, David, you know, it's pretty shrewd, but he's doing this on his own. It may be 
that this is why later when it becomes time to build the temple, that God says, no, David, you can't build the temple. Solomon's going to build the temple because you are a man who has shed much blood. We don't know, but maybe. So he's 16 months with the enemy. It sort of looks good at the beginning. He's got zigzag, but he's telling, you know, he's telling lies to get this through, and, uh, and maybe that's the problem. Now, back to the Philistines. In the meantime, the Philistines and Israel square off for battle, and that's happening like up here. And so Saul is lined up for battle, the, all the Philistines kind of head up there, but he's freaking out because he doesn't, he doesn't know who to turn to. He's rejected God, so he's trying to get answers from God, but God, God's not giving him any answers. And then Samuel, the prophet who anointed him, he's dead. So he didn't have anybody. And so then Saul, in this difficult point that he's at, he turns to a spiritist or a witch or a necromancer. He turns uh, to somebody to raise the dead. Now, this is forbidden by God to talk to the dead or to even have necromancers that do this. And Saul actually enforced that until this time. But he's so desperate to get advice, he decides to go to a witch or a necromancer to raise Samuel from the dead so he can get some advice from Samuel since Samuel's gone. So God forbids all this. Even Saul said, yeah, there can't be any of this going on. But now he sends his, some of his men out to find somebody that can do this. And they find a lady that can do this at Endor. A lady claims she could do it. So Saul disguises himself. He goes to Endor, it's one of the strangest chapters in the Bible, goes to Endor, consults with this witch. She doesn't know, apparently, who he is. And he says, I need you to conjure up Samuel. When they did this, and they did this all in this region, only the spiritist could see the person, and only the spiritist could hear the person. You know, so it's kind of easy scam, you know, but, but that's kind of what's going on. So, this person comes up, but when the person comes up, it freaks this lady out. So there's a huge scholar debate on whether God allowed her to actually raise somebody from the dead, because spiritists can't really do that. It's just demonic activity. But in this one time, did God allow the actual Samuel to come back? Maybe. Because when Samuel comes back, he's, he says, she says, yes, somebody just came up from the dead. She's shaken. He says, well, what does he look like? Well, here's how he's dressed. Saul's like, that's Samuel. Ask him this for me. What should I do? What does God want me to do? This battle's happening. And basically, Samuel says, why are you disturbing me? You've already rejected God. You know you're heading to God's judgment. And as a matter of fact, you're gonna be killed in this battle and your sons. So thanks for the good news, Samuel. You know, Saul hears all that. And then he's just done. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to do anything. They talk him in to take some food and getting back to his army. So all that happens. But stopping right there and moving on before we get back to, to David, God's telling us we should never seek a spiritus or a medium or any, anything that's occult. And, and by the way, it, here, here's what I see sometimes Christians doing. 
God's telling us, with a possible exception of this one example, we can't talk to dead people. Dead people are not communicating to us. And I say that because a lot of Christians, when they lose somebody that's important to them, they'll see a rainbow or, or this or that or a bird will fly by or this happens, and then they'll say things, that kind of sentimental things like, oh, I know this person's looking over me because this bluebird flew over our porch, you know, right out. You know, I get that sentimentality, but the dead are not communicating to you. Scripture says that. So we need to make sure we're not saying things that are really out of line with God's word. So back to David. Now, David has a problem because as everybody's assembling for battle and Saul's frantically trying to figure out what to do, all five lords of the Philistines head to this battle site. So that's, you know, they're heading from Gaza and that's up here and Ascalon, that's up here, and Ashdod, that's up here, and Ekron, that's up here. But also Gath is heading up. And when King Achish, king of Gath, heads up, he says, hey, I've got these 600 mercenaries. They're good fighters. I'm bringing them with me. So he brings David and his men with him, and this puts David in a really tricky situation. He's lined up for battle, against his own people, the Israelites. And so he's only got a couple choices here. He can either join Saul in the battle against Israel, which is going to be really awkward if he's ever going to be the king because he's been, he's been on the other side of the army killing Israelites. Or he can be in Saul's army and then during the battle turn against Saul but if that happens, he's grossly outnumbered. He's in the middle of Saul's army, and they're already kind of wondering about him. They'll be the first to be wiped out before they even get to Saul. So he's in this really difficult situation. But as they arrive at the Jezreel Valley, as they all get up there, here comes King Achish from Gath, and with, along with his army, he's got 600 of David's men. And the other four kings are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing bringing David and his men? And King Achish goes, hey, this guy served me from over, for over a year. He's already been battling his own people. It's no big deal. I trust him. He's my servant forever. You know, he goes on like that. But the other kings are like, hey, whoa, this is David, the David. And then they, for the second time, repeat the song, you know, back to King Achish. Hey, isn't this is the guy that they sang the song about? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And by the way, all those thousands, those are all Philistines. So that's what they're saying. And, and Achish is like, no, he's a good guy. Don't worry about it. He's with us. But they say, no way. And they send David back. So Achish then sends David all the way back to Ziglag. And then, as that happens, God delivers David from taking action in battle, but there's a problem at home. Again, this whole decision to go over there, it's just caused one problem after another. David's decision leads to potential disaster, and it's at this point that David experiences maybe his first and maybe greatest challenge of leadership. It happens in Samuel, 1 Samuel 30, beginning of verse 1. 
So they come back. It takes them three days. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. Could be that they didn't have to kill anybody because all the men in the city were with David's men up north. So they didn't have any opposition. So they, they capture everybody. They burn the city. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam from the Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. It's a total disaster. They're all wondering, why are we with the enemy? Why are we almost getting in a battle? Now we're going home. But while we were gone doing all that, our town has been wiped out and our families have been taken. Disaster. And then the third point. At your lowest point, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, you can always strengthen yourself in God. At Saul's lowest point, what he do? He turns to a spiritist. Just like people turn to whatever, to alcohol or their own comfort or anything else because they get all jammed up. Always turn to God. Continuing in verse six. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is very interesting because it shows the dual nature of faith. It's not David had God strengthen him. It's David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David has nowhere to turn but to God, which is what he should have been doing the whole time. So he goes to Abathar the prefect, that's part of his men, and he asks God, should I pursue them? I mean, he, he's He's grieving, the people are talking about killing him, but he finally turns to God to ask God what he should do. And God says, yes, pursue them, and you're gonna overtake them, and you're gonna recover everybody. And so that's how that goes. And, the, and so David then communicates that to his men. Sometimes we get in a place where we feel like there's nowhere to turn. We got nobody there to help us, no family, no this, no that. Our friends have turned on us. Everything's bad. You can always turn to God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. So David and his 600 men go in pursuit. They're, they're behind. They have to catch up. So they're moving double time. They're moving quickly through the wilderness. They've already been on a three-day march, but they're moving. They move so fast, 200 of the men they're done. They can't keep up. They're exhausted. They strip most of their provisions, leave it with the 200, and then the 400 keep going. They get into the wilderness as they keep chasing these men, trying to track them. They come across a dying Egyptian slave that was a slave of an Amalekite. 
they sort of revive him with some water and food, and they find out some intel that they need. They close the gap on the Amalekites, and finally they catch up to him. And when they do, the Amalekites has finally stopped, because this has been days now, and they think they're far enough away that they stop to celebrate and they're feasting and dancing and drinking and David sees them. He immediately attacks with his 400 men. Although they're greatly outnumbered by the Amalekites, it's a rout. David wins. He gets all their possessions, all their people, and the possessions of the other towns they raided, both Jewish and Philistine, that the Amalekites had taken plunder from, and he wins it all, and he, he comes home victorious. Because he genuinely turned to God with a humble heart because he was finally done with himself, and God delivered. And it's the same with us. You know, maybe you're sitting here, don't know your situation. Maybe you messed up or you're in a tough position. Maybe you put yourself there. You kind of went off on your own. You made some decisions that maybe you shouldn't have made. And you're looking for a way out and you're look, trying to fix this and, and you realize you can't fix it on your own. You have nobody to turn to. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. Seek his wisdom. Follow him, no matter where you're at. And remember these lessons from David. When you're trying to figure out what to do, always seek God's wisdom. When people have offended you and done you wrong, don't seek personal vengeance. God will bring justice one day. And when you're at your wit's end and you don't know where to turn, always remember it's never too late to turn back to God. As David turns to God and Saul turned to Aspiritus, the battle happens. David and his men are nowhere near it. Saul and his sons die in battle. And so you'd think right there, I mean, the whole nation would rise up. Israel, David, our king, finally, we've been waiting all these years. We know you've been anointed. And they joyously make him king. No, it didn't happen that way. But you'll have to come back next Sunday to figure that out. We'll talk about that. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, Lord, no matter where we're at, no matter what we've done, no matter what decisions we've made, Lord, help us to know it's never too late to turn back to you. God, help us with that. To not take personal vengeance, okay for countries, not okay for individuals, not followers of Christ. Help us to seek your direction and always come back to you and strengthen ourselves in your love and your provision because you are God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.